Nightstab, presented by Pop Scares Yet, with your host, Wilfred Munch and Reggie Clayton Midnight, is also brought to you by Hyundai Daily City, the only car where your back seat is someone else's living room. Before 1962, it was a challenge for people to find Haddonfield, Illinois on a map. It's almost as if its most memorable quality was being forgettable. In July 1961, for example, the state governor was asked at a press conference how the newly built expressway would benefit Haddonfield, a languishing suburb in his own state. His response was 30 seconds of visible confusion before moving on without answering the question. That was until the events of October 31st, 1962, which put Haddonfield on the map. Not the map of America's widest Burger Kings, as many had hoped, but the map of homicidal children. Halloween night, Michael Myers, a mere six years old at the time, stabbed his sister Judy to death. The events of that Halloween rocked the Illinois suburb to its core. But no one could have predicted the curse that would be unleashed that night. After spending 15 years in a maximum security sanitarium, Michael would escape and return to his home to continue what he started as a child. For the next 11 years, Haddonfield would know the curse of Michael Myers two more times before he was seemingly shot to death by his former psychiatrist, state police, and pretty much anyone in Haddonfield who had a gun. As straightforward and pedestrian as this all seemed, I couldn't shake the feeling that something didn't add up. Was it Michael Myers that killed all these people? Or was it something else, something more complex, something that could change everything. For KWIGAM 115, Naperville Public Radio, I'm Milford Munch, and this is Nightstab. Listen, I know I was uh, slated to do that segment on uh, Midwestern musings on why Illinois has the has the, the most judgmental cats uh, in, in all of America, but uh, something kind of fell into my lap, and uh, I think it's going to be a hit. Listen, Reggie Clayton, Midnight, and I are going to head down to Haddonfield, and uh, I think we're going to break something really big. Oh, uh, I took the company Chevy Astro and the credit card. Uh. Listen, I hope that's okay, but this is going to be uh, huge for K-Wig.
Reggie and I uh, arrived in Hadfield and checked into the motel we'd be staying at during our investigation. It was called the Final Resting Place Inn, and it was one of two motels remaining in town. Weathering the storm of decreased visitors by catering to tourists of the macabre, shower curtains splattered in red paint and blue coveralls in the place of bathrooms. But we had little time to dwell on our odd yet thematically appropriate lodging. We were meeting with one of Flory Strode's classmates, Sarah, who had seen Michael several times. My name is Sarah, and I was a classmate with Lori Strode. The first time I saw Michael Myers, I was in my classroom, sitting by the window like I always do, and I'm looking outside, and I see this creepy guy just standing there, staring straight into Lori's classroom. And he's wearing this raggedy blue jumpsuit with this white mask on, and his eyes just devoid of life and I was creeped out by it you know because he's just he was just really staring into that classroom but then next thing I know he starts kind of like freaking out and he starts patting his pockets like looking for something and I was like what's going on and all of a sudden you know, not, you know, not that far away, but over by the corner, I see a cop car is driving up our street. So he's, you know, patting his pockets. And all of a sudden, he finds his keys, he takes them out, like, hurrah, I found them kind of thing. So he starts walking over to the driver's seat, but he drops his keys. And as he drops his keys, he's about to pick them up, but he kicks them with his foot. And then he sees the cop car is getting closer and you could see he has that, you know, that moment of where you're like, oh no, oh shit, things are about to happen. Well, I think he had that moment at that time because you could just see he's like, forget the keys. I don't need them. Runs to the driver's seat, smashes the window, gets in and then just drives off. I was left reeling by this revelation. This was not the competent, almost supernatural killer reports had made him out to be. But one account wasn't enough to dispel the myth. We needed more. Reggie headed to the Smith Grove Sanitarium to speak with Michael Myers' former doctor, Samuel Loomis. And I headed to the Haddonfield Police Station to review the incident report of the most recent killing. Reggie Clayton, Midnight here. Thank you, Dr. Loomis, for granting Nightstab this interview. Dr. Loomis, you said that you thought you killed Michael Myers at the hospital. Yet, we know he was in a coma, though rumors say that might not even be the case. But yet, Michael Myers came back. Where do you think he was this whole time? 
For 15 years, I've been obsessed to find out what was going on inside of him. What was inside of him? You said he had the devil's eyes. Was it the devil inside of him? It grew inside him. What grew inside of him? Why are you so concerned with his inside when it's his outsides doing the killing? This force, this thing that lived inside of him came from a source too violent, too deadly for you to imagine it. Are you talking about the wild rumors that Michael Myers is or secretly was an employee of the Silver Shamrock Corporation? No! No! A single no would have sufficed, Dr. Loomis. Now, is there anything you would like to tell me? Well, I think that's all we're going to get out of Dr. Loomis today. Seems a little tired, but inventive. I didn't even see the speakers in the potted plant. Rise on music. Well, Wilford, I'll catch you back at the hotel. It seemed that the story wasn't so clear after all. Instead of the bumbling yet murderous brother and uncle, Dr. Loomis described an evil force, a supernatural entity that could infect others, which was seemingly corroborated by the police report, which included an incident after Michael's bullet-ridden body had fallen down that mine shaft, a stabbing eerily similar to the one that had started everything all those years ago. But this time, it was committed by Michael's niece, Jamie. A statement from those on the scene described Jamie as taking on some of the sinister qualities of her uncle in that moment, suggesting something beyond our understanding. We needed to go back to Sarah. She had mentioned having seen Michael multiple times during his rampage. Perhaps her experiences could shed more light on this increasingly complex and nonsensical mystery. The second time I saw Michael, I was working at Vincent's Drugs. I've been there for about nine years now, and I see Rachel and Jamie walk into the store, and I knew immediately Brady's on shift, Rachel and Brady are going to be sucking face, and I did not want to see any of that. So I grab my stuff, and I walk to the back. And then I see Jamie is also walking towards the back and starts looking at the costume selection that we have. And she's going through the rack and everything, and then I see this movement at the corner of my eye, and it's him. It's Michael. And he's wearing the same raggedy blue coveralls a little dirty and he's wearing these weird bandages on his face and I said what is going on oh my god it's Michael and then I see him doing this weird peekaboo game with Jamie every time Jamie looked away you could see that he would basically go into the aisle and kind of peek in but the minute that Jamie kind of felt like somebody was looking at her he would go ahead and hide and he's going back and forth from one shelf to the other 
And um, finally, he stops because Jamie, you know, sees um, this costume that she was like, man, this is the one for me. Take, you know, takes it off the rack and it's this clown costume. And I could see Michael excited about it and starts clapping, you know, like, yes, she got the clown costume. That's my niece. I mean, he was really happy. I mean, of course, he didn't say anything. You can't really tell, you know, um, I'm sure like you can't tell his facial expressions because like I said, he has bandages all over the place. But you could tell he was excited and the clap. I mean, of course, that tells you he was excited. Me, on the other hand. I was like, ugh, that seems a little creepy and psycho to me. But, you know, to each his own. So I see him grab the white mask, and then he starts creeping over to Jamie. Jamie's, you know, basically walks towards the mirror because she wants to envision herself, I assume. She wants to envision herself in that costume. And then all of a sudden, Michael Myers behind her puts on the mask, and she gets freaked out and breaks the mirror, okay? Michael, of course, gets freaked out too, stops for a second because he's like super startled and then turns around and smacks himself in the face with one of the freaks that we have in the store. Hilarious, let me tell you. Jamie runs towards um, Rachel. Rachel's running towards Jamie, trying to figure out what's going on. And then he's gone. I have no idea where he went, but it was the whole scene was hysterical. Instead of shedding light, we were further shrouded in darkness. Uh, we started to doubt that there was any story here at all. Uh, uh, hey Steve, uh, Wilford here again. Listen, um, I know I begged you to do the story... Uh, but I'm just not sure anymore. Michael Myers seems to either be, like, an honest-to-goodness boogeyman or uh, a bumbling costume enthusiast and proud uncle who'd be endearing if it wasn't for, you know, all the killing. On top of that, I think we're being followed by a Burgundy station wagon? Uh, anyway. Uh, the whole town smells like someone tequila barfed a burning tire. And it never goes away, so... Uh, I don't know, if we don't get a lead soon, I'm bringing the Astro back to Naperville, and, and I'll throw together that dumb cat thing you wanted me to do. Anyway, sorry, Steve. Uh, uh, Wilford out. Or, I mean, I gotta go, or, or just goodbye. Feeling confused and defeated... Reggie and I decided to discuss our progress over drinks at the Silent Ghost, a ghost with glasses-themed wine bar in Haddonfield's sparsely populated downtown. It was there we were approached by a man. It seemed that word had gotten around that we were doing a story on Michael Myers, and he had information that would flip this story on its head. Reggie Clayton, Midnight here, Night Stab. We were able to secure an exclusive interview with someone who says he kind of knows what Michael is really like. Can he demystify the boogeyman mythos of Michael Myers?
Of course, for amenity purposes, we will be changing your voice. Yeah, well, I just don't hear my headphones, so I just want to make sure you're going to change it. I don't want to get in trouble. Nope, nope. Uh, we do like this whole uh, voice editing software. We put it in post. So even right now, as the people are listening to this, your voice has been changed. Oh, you do that in post? Oh, interesting. That's cool. All right. Yeah, sure. Um deep we'll we'll deep throat it up. We're gonna deep throat your voice so much that you've just have been deep throated. Awesome. Thanks. Anyway, where do you want me to start? Tell us about Michael Myers. Was he the boogeyman? There's such a mythos about him that goes around Haddonfield that it just doesn't seem to add up. Oh, you want to know about Michael? Yeah. Well, um, Michael was one of the earlier employees we had. Um, that's the thing. After the whole incident at the hospital that we shadowly ran, um, Michael wasn't actually in a coma. He was a little messed up. Uh, he was bleeding out the eyes pretty bad, but... Um, he joined the team oh, about six months in. Um, I was part of the crew who had to switch the body out for the uh, comatose Michael. <laughs> and even though now, now he was just a standard boy. Um, yeah, you know, I was part of his HR orientation. It's pretty interesting. Um, you know, he didn't say a lot, but you could tell that he cared about the company pillars. And he was always interested in most holidays, but obviously Halloween, but you know, be careful about that. Yeah. Uh, Incredible. So you're telling me that not only was he not in a coma, but he became gainfully employed? And this place sounds pretty cool. Um, what did he like to eat? Uh, you know, rumor had it that he ate a dog once, and eh, I'd be interested to see if he picked up a side salad. What did he like to eat? Oh, that's interesting. He's kind of an egg salad sandwich guy. Egg salad sandwiches. I know, weird, right? We heard tales of him eating dog, but that's just not true. Like hot dogs, yes, but any sort of animal flesh, he just kind of did that for show. Yeah. Tell me about the first time you saw Michael. I remember the first time I saw him, he was taking an advanced uh, self-defense class. Um, and he wanted to show the teacher what to do. And, uh, oh man, <laughs> that poor teacher. <laughs> he was mean. <laughs> I mean, bleeding a lot. I don't even know where he got that knife. Who gives Michael Myers a knife? I don't even know where he got that knife. But here's the thing about Michael. You know, a lot of people like to say that he's very mysterious and, you know, he just pops up out of nowhere. He's kind of clumsy. I've seen a, you know, butter knife a few times, you know what I mean? He's like, oh, 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 chef knife fall out of my head. Yeah, terrible, terrible. He wasn't like, wasn't as uh, omnipotent as people made him out to be. He's more like, you know, just kind of like, da 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 you know. Myers, and I killed my sister, and I tried to kill some kids. I tried to do it again. 
And then I did the, this whole thing where, like, I waited 10 years, and I found out I had a niece, and I was like, well, I gotta go my niece, Michael Myers, but the whole time, you know, kind of a guy with two left feet. Yeah, so, uh, just don't let this get out, and don't let anyone know at my current place of employment, because, uh, they like to count down to Halloween, and we have that whole incident once that we don't like to talk about. Don't worry, sir. This is a podcast. That incident was so bad, like so forgettably bad that, you know, I constantly try to forget about those uh, those commercials and everything about what you're talking about. But if you had to wrap it up, who is Michael Myers? Yeah, some people like to call Michael Myers the boogeyman, the uh, shape. Lloyd. I'd like to call him the Three Stooges. But he's like one stooge. Um, but like all of them. But he's like Mo, Larry, and Shemp. Not Curly. You think Curly, but doesn't have that class. You know what I mean? Like that Curly class. It all clicked into place. Suddenly, the wildly disparate accounts of Michael Myers made sense. Sure, there was a Michael Myers, but he alone wasn't responsible for all this. Everything pointed back to the Silver Shamrock Corporation, a multinational conglomerate that made everything from TVs to generic Halloween masks. After Michael seemingly was killed at that hospital, there was a third Halloween incident. The locals referred to it as the Season of the Witch. Clearly, the Silver Shamrock Corporation had used Michael Myers to drive down real estate values in the town of Haddonfield, eventually capitalizing on the national attention to create a lucrative murder tourism industry in this small Midwestern suburb. All to fund its plan to use Halloween masks to further control their customers. When that was exposed, it was surely no coincidence that Michael returned, along with a brand new killer seemingly poised to carry on where her uncle left off. Steve, uh, this is Wilford again. Disregard that last message. <laughs> sense oh man this is gonna be huge do you think no i better not say it but i mean imagine if we get a, a puppy for this oh i would love to get a puppy award uh they're probably gonna play this on one of the big public radio stations k wig is back baby yeah We came to Haddonfield with doubts, looking for answers. We never could have guessed the answers we would get would have broader implications, not just for the Strodes, not just for Haddonfield, but perhaps the whole country and maybe the world. But for some, this conclusion 
was never in doubt. People call Michael Myers the boogeyman, and I can see why. He has all the trademarks. Creepy mask, big knife. But I've seen him hotwire a car, trying to escape the cops. Not only that, I saw him smash his face against a rake. I don't think he's the boogeyman. I know the real Michael Myers. And I wouldn't trust him carrying my groceries. For KWIG AM 115, Naperville Public Radio, this has been your host, Wilford Bunch, producer Reggie Clayton Bindite. Special thanks to Burton M6 and Jesse Thorne. job with Silver Shamrock. We're so happy to have him on the team. Yeah, after we had to uh, let go one of our previous employees over the breach of an NDA. <laughs> anyway, as a courtesy, I wanted to let you know that Wilford won't be coming back to work at KWIG. Uh, he'd call himself, but our onboarding process is very, um, well, it's very in-depth, let's just say. Anyway, have a great day, and may the luck of the Silver Shamrock be with you. <laughs>